Well, this morning, we're going to continue a series entitled, A Better Way of Living, a study on the book of Ephesians. Now, right there, the very title of this series implies something, doesn't it? A better way of living implies that there was an old standard way of living. A new way of living implies that there's an old way of living. And in this new old standard better, there is a contrast that Paul is touching on as he writes this letter. I want to set the scene here this morning. There's this guy named Paul who planted the church in Ephesus. And Paul, if you don't know, he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He wrote majority of the New Testament. If you're saying, what's the New Testament, Pastor? I want you to know that is the portion of the Bible that was written after Jesus' time here on earth. He wrote majority of it. And, and so Paul, as he's writing this letter to this church, he's actually under house arrest. You can kind of picture him with like an ankle bracelet, you know? He can't go anywhere, and he's under surveillance, and he's actually been falsely accused. He's not, he didn't even commit the crime that they've accused. But because he was preaching Christ, the Roman government decided to arrest him, falsely accuse him, and now he's having to endure suffering from a jail cell. And so this is where we find Paul as he writes these words that we're going to read together today. They're going to be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says, listen church, please don't lose heart. Please don't be discouraged. Please don't be disappointed because of my trials here, because of my circumstances, because of my situation. Don't lose heart because of what I'm going through. He says, I am suffering for you. And then watch this here. He said, so you should feel honored. Now, I made a mistake when I read this because I read this verse literally. It's like the first uh, thing they teach you in Bible college not supposed to read the text literally. This was written in a different culture, in a different time where there were different behaviors and ways of doing things, different language. And so when I read this, I kind of felt some kind of way. It felt like Paul was taking me out to lunch and saying, hey, Justin, I'm going to pay for your meal. And, And man, you should really feel honored about that. I was like, for real, Paul? And then I started to study this. And what I came to find out was that Paul was in prison for preaching the gospel, which led to people coming to know Christ. So watch this. He preached Jesus, was imprisoned for it, and the result was people coming to know Jesus. Here's what's so fascinating to me. Paul says, basically, there are some things that you will do as a Christian that are worth doing. They're honorable even. But they may involve some suffering, but they're honorable and worthy of doing because look at the end result. He's saying, as a believer, I preached Christ, was imprisoned for it, but guess what? It was a great thing that I did that because now, they're, now our family's bigger. He, I would liken this to a mother giving childbirth. I've only seen this up close twice. I've got two kids, but I would not volunteer as tribute. There's a reason why a mother would go through the pain and suffering of childbirth because they understand that they're bringing new life into this world. Paul is saying, I preach the gospel and there is new life coming into this world spiritually. He's saying that there are things that are worthy of suffering for. 
And if you are a believer in this room, I, ha- I need you to understand that the gospel did not last thousands of years and arrive at your doorstep where you get to make the decision to accept or reject the gospel without somebody else honoring you with their suffering. Let's never forget, church, there are early apostles and disciples that were sawed in half. They paid the price with, they, 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 Paid with their life. There were disciples that were crucified upside down. Some were boiled in oil alive. Never forget that in order for the gospel to last thousands and and hundreds of years, it meant individual believers everywhere were going to have to endure suffering, and they understood that it was worthy and honorable if someone down the road comes to know Jesus. This leads me to believe that if we are ever going to reach people, if we are ever going to have influence in our world, if we're ever going to make a difference in the settings and places and rooms that we're in, it may involve some suffering on our part. Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, if anybody should decide to come after me and follow me, let them first deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, taking up our cross is about being willing to endure pain or discomfort, whether that's physical, mental, emotional, so that God's message can reach the entire world. Here's my question for us this morning. If you are a Christ follower, in this room, are you willing to honor people with some suffering of your own? Are you willing to honor the people in your life, near and far, with a life that involves sacrifice? How far would you be willing to go to help another person? What would you be willing to let go of? What would you be willing to say goodbye to? What would you be willing to give up? What would you be willing to sacrifice? I love Nathan and Emily because they're sacrificing their lives that they've known. They're giving up everything that they've known. Their children's, uh, the friendships, the friendships that they have here. They're giving up everything they've known that is familiar and they're stepping into something very unfamiliar. You want to know what they're doing? They're honoring the people of Belfast with their suffering. See, Ephesians, this letter that Paul writes, it's all about leaving the crowd. But make no mistake, it's not about leaving the crowd in proximity. Paul is saying we are to leave the crowd in lifestyle. Paul is saying, I'm not calling you to leave the crowd. Man, I'm calling you to leave the way of the crowd. We can't influence the crowd if we're not in the crowd. And we can't influence the crowd if we're the same as the crowd. And so Paul is saying, I'm calling you out of that. Not in proximity, in physicality, but in the way that you think, the way that you act, the way that you carry yourself, the way that you live. What Paul is saying is as Christ followers, we are called to carry our cross. Now listen to what Jesus said. He said, deny yourself, which means whatever is in your hand, whatever you're holding, whatever gives you your identity, whatever gives you satisfaction, I need you to deny. You need to let go of what's in your hand so you can even begin to carry a cross. Once you've let go, now you can pick it up. And then what does Jesus say? He says, and now I want you to follow me. Have you ever held something, even something like a gallon of milk for an extended period of time? What happens? 
You're starting to get uncomfortable, right? Doesn't need to be heavy. Doesn't need to be an excessive amount of weight. What happens? You start to adjust, right? You start to shift position. Because what happens when you carry something, it begins to affect your comfort level. It does make you uncomfortable. It does mean that you're going to have to adjust. It does mean that it's going to affect the way that you walk. It means when you walk into a room, people aren't going to be able to not notice you because look what you're carrying. It means you're going to be different in every room that you walk into because nobody else might have a cross that they're carrying, but you have a cross that you're carrying. This is what Jesus is calling us to do. And so what he's saying is, listen, church, when the world condemns you, you have a choice. You can react and say, oh, you're going to condemn me? How many of you know it's so easy? How many of you were taught growing up? Someone hits you, you hit that fool back. That's what I was taught. That's my reaction. When somebody hurts me or somebody that I love, I, I want to go back to my boxing days where I learned how to throw a perfect punch, and I want to connect fist to face. Can I be real? He's saying you can give in to that reaction, but I've called you to a response. Jesus is saying you want, people are condemning you. We're not to condemn back. You want to know what words to do? Take up our cross of forgiveness. He's saying when people want to be divisive, you have a choice. You can, re, re, you can react and be just as divisive, just as hateful, just as opinionated, or you can take up your cross like Pastor Chris preached on last week. And live a life of unity, the harder option. He's saying when people hate you, you have a choice to respond back with hate or you can take up a cross of love. He's saying you got to let go of what's in your hands so that you can pick up what I've called you to. I want you to understand this. Paul continues here in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, the next verse. This is what he says. He says, when I think of all of this... I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and earth. He says, I pray that from this glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Right here, if you thought that was hard, which it is, can we be honest? If we had the, the homework assignment of responding perfectly every time for the next week how many of you would pass that test I wouldn't here's what Paul is saying Paul is telling us this is not something we can do in our own strength he's saying we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit just to carry our cross in other words you need Jesus's help just to live for Jesus he's saying to live a different lifestyle what he's saying is to to develop a new way of thinking to allow ourselves to be challenged in our opinions and perspectives and the belief systems that we have held so tightly to throughout our lives. He's saying we need the Holy Spirit's help to guide us and empower us. How many of you have ever heard a, a preacher say from the stage, man, we got to reach this world? How many of you have ever heard that? We got to reach this city. We got to reach this community. You want to know what, I, I get what's being said and I love the heart. But I think maybe it's a little too generalized. It's a little too general of a statement. It's a little too broad of a statement. You want to know, I'm turning 30 this month, and I have been, my mind has been evaluating my 20s. I've been thinking about my life being super reflective. You want to know what I've been thinking about? In my 20s, I used to say this. 
I just want to love God, love people, and die. I just want to preach the gospel and die. Sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? Sounds like real noble. At least it felt that way. You want to know what I came to realize? Those statements were so broad that they failed to hold me accountable. Maybe we need to stop saying that I need the Holy Spirit's empowerment to reach the world and start saying I need the Holy Spirit's empowerment to reach my neighbor. Maybe it's in the specificity of our Christianity that we actually have something to pray to God for that he can actually help us with. And I think right here, I will say it this way. God's empowerment that he gives us to endure suffering, it's for the individuals that are in our lives. Who has God entrusted us to endure for? I want to ask you, who are the people on the left and on the right of you that God wants to empower you to suffer for? I want to take this a step further today. And I would ask the question, who has God called us to, not just who has God called us to suffer for, but I want to take it a step further and let's ask it this way. Who has God called us to also suffer with? I think it's a little different to suffer for. I think suffering for is to be inconvenienced, to deal with the isolated situation, to, to go above and beyond for somebody. But I think to suffer with, that's more of a lifestyle. That's more of a long-term commitment. And I think suffering for is pain endured on someone else's behalf or inconvenience on someone else's behalf. But I think suffering with is going a step further and stepping into somebody's pain and sharing in that pain with them and saying, if it hurts you, it hurts me because this is what it means to love our neighbor. I, this is not a perfect illustration, but it's the best I could come up with. My wife will send me to the grocery store. And this is never a good outcome for me. Because my wife will give me six items and she'll say, Justin, you have six items to grab. Just six. And I can't help it. I, maybe I'm not good at math. I always come home with like at least 15 items. And then, yeah. So, but I'll be at work. And my wife will text me and say, can you stop by the grocery store on the way home? And she, what she's saying is, can you be inconvenienced for me on the way home? Can you do something so that I don't have to do that on your way home? I think that, can kind, of, I think that kind of touches on what it means to suffer for somebody, even though it's not a perfect illustration. But I think here's what it is to suffer with someone. My wife has been on a diet I have not. I have gotten in trouble for eating cheesecake openly, for eating brownies openly, and she just gives me this look of like, uh-huh, must be real nice, huh? She makes, she'll make comments, and here's what she's saying. I wish you would suffer with me. I wish you would say no and deny yourself with me. It would actually help me if you denied yourself, if you actually stepped into the, it would actually help me grow in this area if you stepped into it and got in the game with me and not just stood there on the sidelines eating your brownie. Maybe God's called us to get off the couch and to get into the diet. Maybe God's called us to get off the sideline and to get into the game, even if it involves some suffering. 
Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17 says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts, and as you trust in him, your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. Pay attention to that. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to fully understand, because then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. This love that Paul's talking about, this love right here, this is what compels us to step into the suffering. I think it could be said, I can love or I have the ability to love because I have been loved. I've been shown love. I have love to point to on the cross. I can point to Jesus and say, that's what love is. Therefore, I have a model to follow in. It's the only reasonable thing that will cause an individual to step into and endure the hardship of suffering for and with somebody. I love Pastor Wayne's uh, quote that he says when it comes to sharing of our faith. He says, we are but just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Basically, I am a recipient of grace and mercy and love and so you need grace and mercy of love, man, let me tell you where to find it. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, the next verse says, Now all glory to God who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Now I think Paul as an individual is pretty qualified to speak on suffering. And watch this here. Paul suffered so well with so many people, that they actually returned the favor. They actually came to visit him while he was in prison and spend time with him. Paul was so good at this. Suffering with people, we have to understand as a Christ follower, is a lifelong journey that requires commitment, faithfulness, intentionality, and availability. I'm going to go ahead and ask the band to come forward. You know, the title of this series is A New Way of Living, A Better Way of Living. That contrast between old and new, standard and better, new and improved, if you will, is all about the renewing of our mind. Paul is saying, as the church, you have to change the way that you've thought about some things. You have to change the way that you've addressed and approached some issues. You have to put love to the test and involve yourself, not just in proximity. So many people think solidarity is because we're in proximity. Solidarity is your pain is my pain. I'm with you. I got you. I want to end this morning with a few practical key things that we can take away when it comes to suffering and enduring for others, just like Paul did. So if you're taking notes, I would ask you, these are four things that you can write down. Now listen, we may not ever have the reality of going into prison. 
We may not ever be confronted with the reality of being tortured or martyred for our faith, although there are people in the world today that experience this regularly. But I think Jesus, I think God is asking us to consider a new way of living. I look at God's word and I find that I cannot stay the same if I'm going to continue to call myself a Christ follower because God is calling me out. And I think God is asking of us this today. I think he's asking us to be willing to be uncomfortable so that others might have the comfort of knowing Christ. What would that look like for us? How can we endure suffering for the sake of others? How might we get in the game and get off the couch? How might we leave the sideline? I think number one, go across the street. Bob Goff recently said, he's quoted as saying, God isn't dazzled when you go across the ocean. He's wowed when you cross the street. Let me say it this way. Do you know your neighbor's name? Do you know their history? Do you know their kids' names? You know what they're afraid of? You know what their fears are? Do you know what they do for a living? Do you see how the specificity of the question keeps the Christian accountable? I don't want to hold the title of Christian if it means I'm not going to be effective. I'm stepping into a mission, a lifestyle, the day I say yes to Jesus. Ian A. Gardner said it this way, The power of God has never left his word. It's just that we've prevented it from reaching its intended destination. The more that we feast and partake of the word of God, the fatter we get, and without releasing it to our neighbors, the more slothful and content we become. Number two, the second thing you can do, Invite others into your world. You know, as a Christian, we can run into the issue of only having Christian friends. I think a question that the believer should have to ask themselves regularly is, who are my unbelieving friends in my life right now? Who have I met recently that does not know Jesus, that God has put me around, that I might affect change? that I might be the one to communicate to them that God loves them, that God's desire for them is, is not perfection but individual union. God wants to know them and wants to be known by them, that God has a perfect plan for them, that God loves their family and cares about their day-to-day -day experience, that God wants to be involved in every decision, every minute of their life because he cares. You know, a couple years ago, I was 25. I had this realization that I work at the church. So I drive from home to the church, and then I go home, and then I come to church at the church, and then I go home, and then I come to small group at the church, and then I go home. And I had this realization there are no unbelievers that I come into contact with on a regular basis. And God dealt with my heart. 
It will affect your finances. It will affect your routine. It will affect your schedule. It will inconvenience your family. We put up money so that I could join a boxing gym. And I went at 6 a.m. every morning, and I made sure that I was slow to take off my wrap, slow to take off my gloves, slow to clean out my locker because I knew that I would have time with my trainer who was cleaning up the gym. After going there for four or five months and having enough conversations with my boxing trainer, I invited him to church with me. He came during an August event, heard the gospel, gave his life to Jesus. This is what we're called to. To, we, we are called to moments of conviction that lead us to new ways of thinking, new ways of living. Number three, be an example. Bob Goff said it this way. He said, instead of giving the world more information, I want to give the world more examples. You've heard it said, people care less how much you know until they know how much you care. You know, the day my son was born, I became a better, my, the day my son was born, I became a better man. I had been reading up on fatherhood, and many of you that are fathers, you know it's terrifying. And I want to do right by my kids. And so I'm reading, and I came across this quote that said, fathers would do well to understand that they will listen less to the words that you speak and, and follow in the demonstration that you model. I think people are not looking for opinions on social media. They're looking for a life well lived. Number four, I think as Christians, we have to be willing to stand up for injustice. What an opportunity we have as the church in 2020. What an opportunity we have where race is such a controversial point of discussion right now. Even to the point where many Christians are bowing out from the conversation because they're too frustrated to remain at the table. Never forget that the church was at the very center of the civil rights movement. Never forget the church just wasn't in support of it. The church was at the center of it. It was people's faith that led them to the conviction that said, there's an issue here, and I can't be quiet about it. You know what they would do? They would come into the church, and this is where they would organize. And they would go over what they were going to protest. They would make their signs. They would worship. They would pray. They would go over instructions, and then they would protest. Never forget, the church was at the center of that. And I see too many Christians taking sniper shots at this organization and that organization and this movement and that movement. Maybe organizations are rising up to try to solve an issue because the church left the conversation how many decades ago? I spoke with a pastor this week, and we sat down. It was supposed to be an hour lunch, turned into an eight-hour lunch. We didn't even have dinner. We just called one lunch. We just had seconds. And once we, at the end of it, he said, okay, so there's a problem. Who's going to solve it? What's the answer? And I leaned over and I put my finger in his chest and I said, you and me. It's not the time to get quiet. Church has been quiet for too long. 
black men and women have endured for years, and the church struggles to endure for a few months. You know, twice in the past six weeks, I've heard two individual white men in different scenarios, different settings, use the N-word around me. And when we talked about it, they said, dude, I'm, I thought you were a white guy. You want to know what that tells me? That they thought that had I been white, that would have been a safe space. Many don't know this. I'm, I'm what you would call ethnically ambiguous. People always say, man, what are you? I know what they're getting at. I'm Mexican-American. People think I'm white. People think I'm Asian. People think I'm Middle Eastern. And I've been called every racial slur according to every race. And yet I hear Christians being, are, the, are, are the ones that are dismissive of this issue. Explaining away my pain and my experience just because they've not had the experience themselves. Is this what it means to endure? Is this what it means to suffer for and suffer with? Do you know that as of June 25th, 29% of American Protestant churches, only 29% of American Protestant churches have even addressed the issue of racism in their churches? You want to know what that tells me? The church hasn't done very well in suffering with. It gets too political. It gets too messy. It's not a perfect this or a perfect that. Can I tell you, we will make mistakes. We will say the wrong thing. We will get it wrong. I don't, I don't agree with 100% of either person on either side, but you know what? I'm in the game. When did we as Christians believe that acceptance and agreement are the same thing? I can accept you without agreeing with you. I have friends on both sides. And when did disagreement become the deciding factor of whether or not I'm going to be in relationship with you? We've got to grow. We've got to endure. We've got to get in the game. And I can't dive into everything today. We can't solve this issue today. But I'm telling you, we've got to stop explaining it away and dismissing the issue. We've got to stop leaving the table where the conversation is being had because we're tired of it. You know one of the best ways we can do all of these four things in a small group where we're living life with one another, where we're challenged in our way of thinking, where, where the Bible is where we go back to when we disagree and we understand, hey, we disagree, but we got crosses to carry. We don't see eye to eye, but we got crosses to carry. I don't understand why you think that crazy thought, but guess what? We got crosses to carry. This is why small groups are such a vital part of our church. You get in a small group, you grow. You get around people that aren't like you, that don't think like you, you grow. Or at least you're challenged in a way of thinking. Or at least you're challenged in your ability to love somebody different than you. This is what we're called to. There's so much more to say. But I'll end with this. God is able to do the work in us if we're willing to endure and do the work for others.